Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about what legislation is getting unceremoniously killed in Sacramento and what Gavin Newsom wants to do with the billions in extra revenue that has rolled into California's coffers. Joining us today to break it all down are the Chronicle's Sacramento correspondents, Alexei Kosev and Dustin Gardner. Plus, we'll talk about the latest on the recall campaign against Newsom and how a live bear is involved. And now, here's my conversation with Alexi and Dustin. Alexi Kosov, Dustin Gardner, from your homes in Sacramento to mine in Oakland, welcome back to It's All Political. The boys from SAC are back. I'm struggling what to call this segment. SAC talk, uh, inside SAC, those those sound weird. Absolutely none of those. (laughs) Please. We might have to crowdsource a name, I think. Um, Anyway, today is usually, Thursday when we're recording, this is usually a a fairly significant day in in state politics. This is called the suspense file day. Uh, Alexi, what what is suspense file day? Explain what that is to people and why they should care about it. So the legislative process is a long and winding road through many, many months and many, many steps. And any bill that has a substantial fiscal impact winds up uh, in this bottleneck called the suspense file, where the appropriations committee can sort of take a broad overview look at all of the legislation and decide what should advance and what shouldn't. In theory, this is so they can have a more comprehensive look at the fiscal impacts of the legislation that's moving forward. In reality, it can be a very convenient way to quietly kill bills that they don't, <laughs> you know, want to uh, allow to move forward or perhaps to get petty revenge on a rival, things like that. <laughs> Ooh, so that has never <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, and there usually ends up being hundreds and hundreds of bills on the suspense file, and they will sit there and in one fell swoop read through every single one and tell you whether or not it got out of the committee or not to go to a floor vote. And this this happens yeah very rapidly. So what bills met their untimely demise today that we should be uh, concerned about? There were a couple of interesting bills from Bay Area lawmakers that um, that were scuttled. Um, one, one that I wrote about was from um, State Assemblyman Evan Lowe, and he had this measure that would have created a state election day holiday. And his idea was that this would keep, you know, the, the high turnout from 2020 going forward. That died largely due to concerns about the cost and some lawmakers who wanted to extend the requirement to private companies, not just government workers. Um, that was one interesting one that died. Another one um, from David Chu would have created a pilot program for uh, basically speed camera enforcement. So cameras with license plate readers could um, be, have been used to, to give out speeding tickets. Um, so those were some of the ones that died on the uh, on the assembly side. Alexa, you were watching things over in the Senate. What died over there? Yeah, you know, most of the things that we were closely watching made it through. For example, a lot of the legislation about, around uh, overhauling policing practices is still alive, albeit with some, you know, amendments, some some more significant than others. Um, a lot of the housing legislation also made it through. Uh, so a couple of the ones that the Chronicle has been covering that did get held included a bill to um, require that large companies report their greenhouse gas emissions 
And that was held until next year to give more time to work through some policy disputes. Um, And there was another related to trying to um, ban the University of California from contracting with hospitals that will not provide abortions or transgender surgery or um, assisted death services. And, you know, there's a whole sort of battle over you know, religiously affiliated hospitals and whether they follow the law on some of these types of procedures. And so this was an attempt by the state to kind of wade into that um, battle, come down on the side of these more liberal policies. And the University of California expressed some concerns that this could, um, you know, result in, in critical care not being provided to people in certain parts of the state. And so that one was also put on pause until at least next year. And one, one bill that, Alexia, I know you've been following, you, you alluded to it, is, um, and, I, and I've written about it a little bit, is the, is the one by Stephen Bradford that would create the decertification process for California police officers. That got tweaked a little bit. Tell a little bit about what that's about, because I think some people are, are really concerned about that. Because we've seen, yeah. as, you, as you guys know and have reported, we saw a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, praise of Black Lives Matter in Sacramento, honoring of George Floyd, but not a ton of legislation to back it up, uh, to back up the word. So what what's what's going on with, with this one? Absolutely. This has been like the big vehicle for trying to address this issue in Sacramento. Uh, California is actually one of only four states in the country that does not have a centralized process in order to strip badges from problematic cops. Um, and this allows people who get fired in one district jurisdiction to potentially go work in another one. And so uh, after all of the protests last summer, they came forward with this proposal. It didn't make it through last year. It came back this year. It's a priority bill. It has the support of the leader of the state Senate behind it. And yet it's still been struggling every step of the way. And one of the big objections is because law enforcement is really opposed to provisions in the bill that would make it easier to bring lawsuits against officers for violating your civil rights or um, wrongful death lawsuits. And so the decertification piece moved forward in the committee today, but they added amendments that stripped out or really severely narrowed the language about these um, these civil rights violations lawsuits. And, um, you know, we'll see if that helps it move forward. But um, there's still a lot of objections from police to the actual decertification process that's been proposed. So, you know, that that's going to be one to watch. It's going to be a, a, a fight all the way till the end. And so this uh, this year's uh, suspense uh, day is there suspense file day. Didn't it seems a little less dramatic, a little less uh, <coughs> suspenseful uh, than uh, previous. I'm so hack. I'm, I'm, I apologize to everyone for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, the previous years. Is there any, any reason for that? Or, or is that just, just uh, that's what went on this year? Or what was the reason behind that? I mean, my sense is that you were kind of seeing what what played out last year, too, is, you know, the pandemic took up a lot of attention at the Capitol. Um, you know, that really is sucking up the oxygen with the legislators and the governor. Um, legislators aren't um, spending as much time together because of social distancing. You know, there's a lot fewer people in the Capitol. There aren't, you know, there aren't that many lobbyists. Um, 
and activists and interest groups going to the Capitol. So, you know, we're still seeing, I think, the residual effects of the pandemic in that sense. And then also, you know, the state has a huge budget surplus, and that's where a lot of the attention is because the money to enact a lot of the programs that legislators want to pursue to help the state recover from the pandemic, th those are tied up in the budget, not necessarily some of these individual bills, though they'll, there will be budget, budget trailer bills later, that, that wasn't the focus today. Dustin, that was a wonderful and unplanned segue into our, <laughs> our next topic, because uh, <laughs> there's no rehearsal and it's all political, as we as we all know. Um, the uh, last last week, uh, let's catch everybody up on on what's known as the May revise, and that's when the governor gets sort of updated uh, uh, figures on how much revenue the state's going to take in, and he revises uh, his uh, budget proposals. Uh, let's uh, Newsom was asked about this today on the road about uh, you know this discrepancy about you know what how much how big is the the budget uh, surplus he you know first of all he talks about the, the california's 100 million dollar comeback uh, and then he says uh, no there's a there's a 76 billion dollar surplus and then you know the the legislative analyst office which is the nonpartisan budget analyst that these, these are the numbers that we trust um says no the surplus is only 38 billion uh what what's the, what's the difference here? What number should we be going with? Yeah, I mean, I will say I think this has been much ado about nothing. Um, it's really just a matter of verbiage and people maybe not listening or, you know, wanting to get in their political kicks at somebody, um, you know, from the jump. What Newsom said is there's a $76 billion surplus and $38 billion of that is discretionary. The reason for the differences in the numbers is because California has certain constitutional requirements to set aside about 40% of ev of every tax dollar that comes in to the general fund for K-12 education and another chunk into reserves. And so once you set aside that money, what's left over from that $76 billion is this $38 billion. And then you have another $27 billion or so from the federal government that's come in through the most recent coronavirus relief package. There's pretty broad discretion for how to use that. So when you add it all together, that's where you get that hundred billion plus number. Um, so it's really just different ways that Newsom was kind of using the numbers to boost himself, make the situation look great, you know, but the reality is it's not like he's trying to spend money that's not there. It's kind of just how do you account for it and what do you really consider the surplus or not? All right, let's talk about some of the things that he does uh, propose spending money on. Uh, one of them is he wants to spend, uh, give uh, health care coverage through Medi-Cal, that's the, our state uh, health care program for, for poor folks, to uh, undocumented immigrants over 60. What is the significance of that? Because that's, that's a little bit of a scale back from what he had talked about earlier. Well, you know, this is an interesting one to me because it's not the biggest uh, dollar item, but it is a very politically significant step to be taking. Um, the state Democrats in the state have been pushing for many years to try and expand Medi-Cal eligibility to undocumented immigrants. And it's been a slow process. They started by letting children sign on. Then they expanded that eligibility to young adults who were up to age 26. Now the next push is for seniors. And so to add um, you know, undocumented adults who are 60 or older is could actually be a fairly significant step. 
But there are still people who want to go further. Obviously, they want all adults who are, you know, meet those income requirements to be eligible. And what they may say right now is, look, we've got more money than ever. Why not do it? Um, I don't think that, you know, the governor is going to be ready to make that leap. But it is certainly a, a very strong statement of California's values. I mean, no other state in the country, you know, does anything like this. So it would certainly be a, a first. We'll have more of our conversation about the California state budget after this short break. The one that, uh, of course, is the Santa Claus uh, of, of one on this one is he's, he's going to give out eight point. One billion in tax rebates. To, these are only to folks who who have uh, households who make less than seventy five thousand dollars. So how much? How much are we talk about? How much should everyone be expecting in their uh, in in the mailbox? Or I guess in your directly directly deposit. We don't get in the mailbox. Yeah. So the the, the checks are supposed to be six hundred dollars for everyone who qualifies. And th- there was a first round of checks that went out this spring to lower income earners, um, those who get the state's um, earned income tax credit. This is basically just expanding that pool to those who make up to seventy five thousand um, as a household. Um, so that's six hundred dollars. And it, eventually, these payments are supposed to reach about two thirds of people in the state, as I think what the governor's office said. And there's going to be an additional $500 for people who have children or undocumented immigrants. And, you know, the governor's office has really been touting this. They're saying this is the biggest tax rebate that any state has ever given in, in American history. Is that true? Do we know if that's true? <laughs> is that, is that, is that it, fact checkable? <laughs> it probably is. I mean, it it, it is a certainly a pretty significant step for the state to be taking. That, that said, it is um, partially because the state has to. Um, We are swimming in so much money right now that the state is actually obligated to give some of it back to taxpayers because we've exceeded a voter-approved spending cap. So this is sort of Newsom's way of doing that. Um, And rather than just giving back everybody an equal amount, he's decided, all right, I'm going to concentrate this more towards needier people, um, whether there may be a legal challenge over that and, you know, you know, whether that's an appropriate way of doing it and that need that, that will still kind of be, um, to be determined because this is only the second time ever that the state has actually hit the spending cap and needed to give money back at all. So we're kind of in uncharted territory here. Um, he also wants to give a, a seven billion uh, to a project home key. That's where the state has been uh, uh, trans uh, taking like old hotels or, and or buying up hotels in some cases, motels, and turning them into uh, places where homeless folks can live. Um, that that's got to be a popular one, right? Or, or do folks want more uh, for project home key? Well, home key is. Newsom's sort of signature program. I mean, he's really enthusiastic about this idea because it's one that he came up with. And, you know, it was pretty successful in its pilot iteration last year in terms of moving quickly to buy up properties. Um, You know, they're still moving people in and getting everything sorted out. So all of that, you know, remains to be seen. But he's very enthusiastic about the idea. You know, other people certainly want money to be spent on homelessness. They want to do something about this problem. Voters really care about this. Um, But, you know, lawmakers have their own ideas about 
how they want to spend the money. They they have other kinds of services and things that are priorities in some case. So some of that will happen in negotiations where they decide, okay, maybe we'll put some toward home keys, some toward, you know, rental support for people, some toward other kinds of supportive services. Um, that kind of gets worked out in negotiations before they pass a budget by June 15th. And I, I know we all hear from readers who are uh, upset and rightfully so about what all the screw ups and chaos at the employee uh, development department, the EDD. Uh, if people can't get through to get their claims, uh, that you know there was massive fraud, rock, rook people out of millions and millions of dollars out of the system. Newsom threw what two hundred seventy six million, sort of a one time fix to. Um, to 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 uh, hopefully fix some of the problems there and and uh, but is is there going to be anything done to help people get their claims faster? Is that is that money you know or is that sort of long a long term fix for EDD? Yeah, yeah. So this money is it's really earmarked to to fix the the technology problems that EDD is having that that were the source of this whole backlog in the first case and also you know the the massive fraud that, that was widely reported. Um, you know, the governor, when he rolled out his budget, he, he sort of talked about this idea that this agency, this department was never designed to handle with the technology that they have to, to handle something like the pandemic that we went through with such widespread unemployment at different points. Um, and so, yeah, this is really just about building up their capabilities so they, you know, they can um, get rid of that backlog. And there, you know, there's there's always been money to meet the benefits that are owed. That is a separate fund that, you know, the employers pay into. And th this is really just making sure the state has the, 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 the capabilities to manage it properly. Is there anything, what's, what's going to be the hardest lift of, of Newsom's proposals to get, get through the legislature? That's sort of hard to say. Um, I think when you have as much money as you do right now, um, you know, I don't know that there's you know there's not hard feelings, right? I mean, everybody's feeling pretty good right now. And um the the responses to Newsom's proposal out the gate were generally fairly positive. I think some of the places where you could see some pushback or some negotiation from lawmakers are a few key priority areas that they have that Newsom did not address. So, for example, uh, a desire to really expand subsidized childcare or um, to really expand college scholarships um, for for students. Those were some of the things that were mentioned in their budget proposals that were not reflected in his. And so, you know, you might see them sort of say, well, take some money out of, you know, out of this and put it there and then we'll support you on home key or whatever it is, right? That those are the kinds of things that are going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. And he's really, yeah, hitting, you know, the high notes here with this. I mean, there's aren't really any groups that didn't get significant, um, you know, support in this budget. There's so much money that it's hard. I think it's hard for a lot of people to have a lot to complain about. Um, I think one area where he probably got the most pushback was from public health officials. Um, there wasn't it, it, that really that much money for local health departments in this budget, that much new money anyhow. And the, the complaint from health officials was that, you know, after going through this pandemic, haven't we learned any lessons about needing to build up the capabilities of those departments to do things like report, 
um, you know, infectious disease numbers to the states. Their computer systems are, are not up to scale in a lot of areas. And that was the source of, you know, some of the, the glitches we had with data the last time around. So I think if there's one area where we really could see more expansion. That might be it. Let's uh, let's take a look at uh, a quick look at the update, the recall. Uh, there's another recent poll, again, showing that uh, more people are uh, opposing the recall of Newsom. Uh, and one candidate, uh, one candidate who gets a lot of media attention, Caitlyn Jenner, is, uh, I think she got, what, 6% of the vote? This is at a Berkeley, uh, a nonpartisan Berkeley IGS poll. Dustin, you, you wrote something about uh, that I think will be in Sunday's Chronicle, right? Uh, uh, That's the plan right now, anyway. <laughs> yes, we, should, we, should, we shouldn't put a date to anything. Um, but it'll be it'll be soon in sfchronicle.com and in your your print edition at some point about Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, tell us about what you what you're writing about with about her. Yeah, so with this piece, you know, I, I focused on talking with trans people, trans women, um, you know, elected officials, community leaders, just to see you know how they were reacting to her campaign because there had been a lot of blowback. Um, from the get-go after she started running from the LGBTQ community. And I, you know, I really just wanted to understand kind of the, the source of that tension in that uh, relationship because she is, you know, arguably the most visible, well-known transgender woman in, in the country and maybe the world. And um, it's, it's, it's odd that, that she is at the same time so disliked by her own community. And, you know, what, what I found talking to the different leaders is they felt like her perspective on a lot of issues from, you know, her support uh, for President Trump, her kind of on again, off again support um, and fondness for Trump to, you know, her recent stance saying that she opposes trans girls playing in girls sports. They felt like this is coming from a standpoint of her having a much different experience than most trans people uh, Caitlyn Jenner came out much later in life. She was in her late 60s. She was already a wealthy, um, famous figure. Most trans people come out much younger in life and, you know, they have to deal with the experience of trying to find work, trying to find housing when they might, you know, face discrimination for their gender identity. They, you know, many of them have to deal with homelessness or violence on the streets. And so really the reaction I got from the community is they feel like she's detached because she hasn't had the experiences that most of them have. And that she hasn't really made the effort to understand the community in a way that she could empathize with those experiences. Uh, and another candidate uh, is, is detached from reality, and that that candidate <laughs> may be John Cox. <laughs> uh, maybe not. He's the, the the campaign with the with the Alexa. You were recently covered a gubernatorial campaign event featuring a man running for the. To lead the world's what? What are we? Fourth, fifth largest, fifth economy, largest economy, and a live bear. Uh, tell tell us about that. Uh, we we talked to Fred Cox earlier about that, but you were you were there with the bear. I was, yes. Um. So no comment on on connections to reality or not. But <laughs> John Cox is one of the candidates running for uh, in the recall to try and. Uh, you know, replace Newsom if if he gets recalled. He lost very significantly to Newsom in 2018. He was the sort of main Republican running against Newsom. He faced off against him in November. He got beaten by about 24 points. So, you know, he's got to swing big to, uh, you know, try and <laughs> overcome that 
um, you know, that margin to potentially win. And his strategy has been to rebrand himself as the beast, uh, as symbolized by this bear, and um, to rebrand Gavin Newsom as the beauty or a pretty boy. And he is it, through this very um, <laughs> strained metaphor about the beauty and the beast sort of suggesting that he will come in to the governor's office and make beastly changes and fix all the problems that the pretty boy made. I mean, it sort of works. It sort of doesn't. <laughs> and he's been going up and down the state to promote this with a live bear, with a bear <laughs> named Tag, who a- appears in movies and TV shows. And um, Tag has his SAG card, correct? Right. <laughs> the Screen and Actors Guild card. Yes. When I, um, yeah, so I went to the kickoff event in Sacramento a couple weeks ago, and <laughs> Tag sort of wandered around in the background while New- while Cox spoke, and he kind of wiggled his butt and sniffed for crumbs and <laughs> sat on the ground, and, you know, he was fed, um, he was, you know, fed treats, you know, to keep him in a good mood. And, um, you know, Cox has sort of bragged about his close relationship to this bear now from, from working with him. Um, and even in one (laughs) interview with, uh, with a reporter bragged about having kissed the bear. So, um, Oh, oh, he did. Yes. And it's it's in the commercial. Right. So if nothing else, you know, even if he doesn't become the next governor of California, he's hopefully made a new friend. (laughs) (laughs) When you lose by 24 points, uh, you you need all the friends you get. You know what I found? And this is, of course, uh, nothing like uh, showing something uh, visual on a podcast. But I found in my in my uh, in my my crap that I lug around uh, Fred Davis, who who did the 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 Republican um, ad maker who i i think is a genius i think is a genius in a, in a way that he gets you talking about his ads as i as i wrote not necessarily in a good way but he gets you talking about them i found my he, he once did an ad uh featuring a, a sheep but we it was called a demon sheep where he had tom campbell turning into a demon sheep and i found the hologram card oh my god and i'm showing this to the boys right now of uh, of the demon sheep turning into Tom Campbell. Is that are you seeing that? <laughs> you can sort of see like little glimmers of it. It doesn't translate yes. for some I... reason. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like a hologram on a podcast. <laughs> and we should probably end it there. We can uh, just um tell the people that it was it was spectacular and <laughs> we're very glad that Joe held on to that for <laughs> the past what is that 14 years now that is uh yes that's uh, 11 years 11, 11 years. years it was the uh, it was the it was the Carly Fiorina versus ah. uh Barbara Boxer race in 2010 yes now that was on <laughs> my desk and since we don't have desks anymore uh you know the chron- while the chronicles newsroom was being redone we uh, I I packed that one up with all my other uh crap definitely a cute Anyways, thing. <laughs> yes, it is quite a keepsake. Yes, um, guys, thanks, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we will, uh, we will do it again. Thanks for having us on. And okay. Hopefully, by next time you've come up with a, a catchy, a catchy yes. name. I that think doesn't we all involve we tweet, double we, entendres. About <laughs> we need to tweet this out and see if we can get a see if we can get a name for this for this bit. <laughs> okay, take it easy, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Alexi and Dustin for being here today. We, we've really got to get them a, a decent name. 
Uh, I'd like to thank the King Webby Award winning producer King Kaufman for producing this episode. And a shout out, of course, for our fabulous theme music. That's Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter what you do with a live bear on the campaign trail, it's all political. <laughs>